The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, we'll have our guest, Tom Tesher, on who will be talking about the use of TIF money to siphon off tax revenue and use it for corporate subsidies in the city of Chicago. TIFs aren't just for sports stadiums. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson. He'll join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with a regular contributor, the blogger behind FieldofSchemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Good morning. Tiffs in Chicago. Man, it's one of my favorite subjects. Yeah, it is. And uh, there's a whole map of them that it's just like varicose veins across the city. It's uh, it's a really interesting um, uh, guest that I have lined up. Uh, he's actually in the Nation article uh, this week called Chicago Rising. Okay. I don't know if you saw that or not. but I have not yet, but I will check out about that and, uh, and stay tuned for his appearance. Yeah, it's definitely worth uh, the read. Um, so speaking of siphoning off public money, the city of Detroit has a downtown development authority, which seems to be trying to go ahead with building a new hockey arena for the Detroit Red Rings, despite the fact uh, the city declared bankruptcy this week. Does Detroit city mit uh, does Detroit City Manager, um, who is imposed by the Michigan governor, by the way, Kevin Orr, and Red Wings owner Mike Illich even going to try to need to play the PR game to get this arena done due to the fact that much like in Atlanta with the Georgia World Congress Center authority, the vote is not by an elected body of officials. It's a right. quasi-government funding uh, body that has this. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, this is basically a TIF, right, where the money has been, property tax money has been carved out and given over to this development authority to use for downtown development, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and they're saying, well, you know, we have to use it for downtown development, and uh, the Red Wings are the only ones proposing building something in downtown, so guess they got to get the money. Um, now, of course, everything else, in Detroit, every other you know scrap of money is up for grabs, and they're talking about um, slashing everybody's pensions for city workers. They're talking about selling off the artwork at the, the Detroit Institute for the Arts. Um, they're you know they've said everything's on the table, but not this. And yeah. um, they're certainly getting some flack in the media now because it's, it's you know a little bit obvious, right, when you're proposing money for a hockey arena, right at the same time your city is declaring bankruptcy, you know, doesn't look great. Um, but the question is whether it's going to go any further than that, you know, or any elected officials actually going to say, hey, no, wait a minute, um, you know, if you're talking about selling off, you know, everything that the city owns, why are we giving over $300 million in tax money to the Red Wings? Um, and that's, you know, we'll have to have to just wait and see. But, um uh, it's tough. You know, like you said, in Atlanta, it's a similar situation. Once you take this money and set it aside for development, um, it effectively becomes a slush fund for developers. And we've seen this in city after city um, where developers can make the argument, oh, well, it's for development, so, you know, you have to, uh, you have to give it to us. How, how do you start? Anything silly like schools, even though, you know, every study shows that schools are – some of the you know most effective means of building your economy and drawing new businesses and all the rest of that. How do you cities take back and get authority over their downtown development authorities that you know just siphon off funds and they have the money to do what they want? Um, it's hard because it's usually authorized by some sort of state act, like this was in Michigan. Uh -huh. So you would really need to go to the state legislature and go, um, and, you know, and go and try and reclaim the money. I know there's been some effort in New York State, um, where I live, to at least improve the oversight of some of these authorities, where they can't just go and spend the money without anybody even knowing what they're spending it on. 
Um, and I think, you know, that kind of transparency is sort of the first step. First, you force them to say, okay, Detroit Development Authority, so you want to give money to the Red Wings. Can you explain who else would want, you know, might be eligible for this money, whether there's alternate proposals, whether there's other things you could be using this for that, you know, um, that might benefit more people in Detroit than just Mike Illich? Um, and, uh, you know, once you are able to expose that, then maybe there's some, some traction for, uh, you know, for trying to re- reverse some of this stuff. But it's really hard, you know. I mean, over the last 20, 30 years, more and more cities have, you know, again, like you're going to be talking about with Chicago, have taken, you know, large chunks of their property tax base and, uh, you know, carved it up and given it over to this, these development funds. Um, and it's really, really tough to undo. Yeah, just a, an arena question itself. The proposed arena for eighteen thousand—that's a lot less than Joe Lewis Arena currently sits, right? Um, yeah, I think it's a good bit less. Um, you know, again, we're we're seeing this trend in sporting events, most prominent in the NFL, um, but for sports venues, you see fewer seats for people with you know fewer seats at higher prices is kind of the trend. Yeah, um, because uh, two things I think that teams have discovered. One is you don't make all that much money selling the 20,000 seat, right? Because that person isn't going to be paying nearly the price that the first, uh, you know, several thousand people are going to. Um, you know, the person who's sitting up in the last row in the nosebleeds. And secondly, um, the person in the last row in the nosebleeds might just rather stay at home and watch on TV anyway because the view is so terrible. So, you know, I think more teams are thinking, okay, let's downsize, let's just make it, you know, really a, a luxury event for, for people who are big spenders. Um, and everybody else can uh, can watch on TV and pay us through their cable bills. Yeah. Track operator ISC, uh, NASCAR's, their parent um, corporation, they've taken out seats at Daytona. So it's not just uh, stick and ball sports, as they like to call it. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's, this is, you know, definitely a trend across, um, you know, across all sports. And I wouldn't be surprised if concert promoters are think- thinking the same thing, you know, as it's harder to sell out 20,000 seats. You know, would you rather sell 10,000 or 15,000 seats at, you know, higher prices um, and not have to worry about, uh, about uh, you know, those last few thousand? And with the concert promoters, too, I don't think there's a lot of big acts that can do stadium tours. Or, you know, maybe there's maybe 10 at most. Um, I think that's probably a- more than that. But, again, you know, if you're thinking about do we want to have to lower prices in order to sell, sell those, uh, those last couple thousand seats or do we just want to do something smaller you know i mean yeah. it, it seems like more of those kind of acts uh, you know tom petty just did several night runs in uh, new york and la right uh-huh. um, where he was playing you know somewhat smaller theaters um still large but not but not arena size um does that mean he's always going to do that not necessarily but it's it's certainly a okay hey this business model still works you know we can switch to smaller theaters where people have a better experience and conveniently where we can, you know, charge top dollar to everyone um, and and still, still sell out the place without really trying. Yeah. Well, the, the issues with Detroit come at a time when Detroit has trouble even keeping a functioning light system intact. And you know, the I think the uh, person in charge, the city manager, or the emergency city manager said something right. like, if we don't use the money, we're going to lose it. Um it just seems like it, this seems to reinforce what pr- former President Jimmy Carter said in, about the United States not having a functional democracy, you know, although the former president was talking about Edward Snowden in that case. But I think uh-huh. it's applying city p- politics as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a huge problem. And, and you know, it's sort of almost this, this conspiracy between the city and the state, right, where the state 
could say to the city of Detroit, okay, you know, you know, don't try, try and claim we're going to take the money back. You need the money. We're asking you to, uh, to redo your finances. Just come and ask us for it. We can, you know, uh, write a new bill and sign off on you, on you keeping the money for something else like streetlights. Um, but that's not what's going on. That's not what's going on with all these emergency managers all over Michigan. You know, I mean, Detroit isn't the only city in Michigan to have gotten them. And the goal isn't to try necessarily to, uh, you know, get everyone's finances in order, although obviously that's the cover story. You know, the goal here is to try to break contracts and, uh, and you know, abrogate pension deals and things like that. Um, so, you know, if, if the state of Michigan were really trying to get Detroit back on its feet, it would be in there saying, um, okay, you know, forget about this Red Wings deal. You know, if you need the money, you need the money. But... I think that the Red Wings deal is not the kind of city expenditure that Michigan is trying to stop them from making, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so the emergency managers, I think, isn't it Ohio that has these things as well now? Is that a um, thing of ALEC? Or? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's definitely like a big trend on the state level. The nation actually had a great piece, I think, last year about, uh, about uh, the ones in Michigan in particular and how it really is this concerted state campaign to say, okay, how can we just go in, take over city governments, um, and try and you know force them to do this uh, this Alex style you know austerity plan and you know cutting payroll, um, privatizing services, um, all the stuff that uh, you know that uh, sort of the right wing ideologues are trying to get local governments to do, um, and it's it's really you know frightening that they've been able to push this so far. There's so little um, that. Uh, you know, local officials and local residents can do about this. You know, the state can just come in and say, okay, fine, we don't like the way your finances look, we're going to take over. Yeah, staying on Detroit, the ongoing war between the CEO of the Detroit Economic Growth Corp, George Jackson, and the old Tiger Stadium Conservancy is still going on about what to do with the uh, historic former site of Tiger Stadium. Jackson wants to build something on it while Tiger Stadium Conservancy wants to try to keep baseball happening there in any kind of form. Um, this fight escalated this week due to the fact that the nonprofit group has $3.8 million in federal earmarks to try to preserve the site. And Jackson wants the money. Is there a way to get Jackson fired? Who does he report to? Um, I don't even know who could fire him at this point, you know? Would it be the, can the mayor of Detroit still fire him? Would they have to go to, to the emergency manager to get him fired? Um, I, you know, I don't know. Um, he, you know, has been there for a very long time and, you know, has seems to have this uh, death grip on on economic issues in Detroit and just for whatever reason really hate either really hates baseball or really <laughs> hates Tiger Stadium fans or both um, but somewhere along the way you know he got it in his head that you know these people who like Tiger Stadium or like the site of Tiger Stadium or like anything to do with the Tigers or baseball at Tiger, the Tiger Stadium site, you know, are just trying to stop me from, uh, from doing what I want to with my property. And uh, <laughs> he has, you know, posed things like Chevrolet wanted to give money for free to maintain the old Tiger Stadium field, and he said no. Um, anything to do with baseball, he's immediately said no, and there was this you know, Major League Baseball thought about building some kind of youth academy there. He's like, no, 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 no. Um, that's Called a terrible a idea. scam, too. Um, and, and now he's got this thing where he wants to, you know, build a headquarters for a parade float company, which, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, there is a roughly 3,000 other vacant lots in Detroit where you could build a parade float company headquarters. But if you want to do it there, I guess, you know, fine. Um, but now he's, you know... 
I, I, no one, I think, even knows whether or not that plan could come off. But he's blaming the uh, the Tiger Stadium Conservancy for for blocking it because he says, oh, you know, they won't let anyone infringe on their precious baseball field. Yeah. Um, which looks great, by the way. I, I put up a link that uh, I forget if it was a, one of the Detroit papers uh, had a story where they where they had some aerial footage of the old Tiger Stadium site, and the volunteers who've been maintaining it, God, it looks gorgeous. You know, it's just a this pristine green baseball field. You know, with the fl- old Tiger Stadium flagpole in the middle of this vacant lot that looks like any other vacant lot in Detroit. Yeah, I saw that picture, and it just makes me sad more than anything else. It's hard to even see the field there. Yeah, but it's better than nothing. You know? It is better I mean, than nothing. I, I certainly wish that even part of Tiger Stadium had been preserved because it was a gorgeous place. Um, but, you know, this is like about a dozen people from in and around Detroit who have been going in there every weekend and, you know, mowing and raking and cleaning up garbage and all that stuff um, just because they love the the field and the site. And again, you would think that a rational city government would say, oh my goodness, you know, we actually have people here who are trying to put something in, you know, who are giving us something for free, you know, yeah. who are trying to put something into the site. You know, whether or not we have something else we want to do with it, take advantage of it, you know, um, because there's at least some energy going into it. Um, but again, Jackson just really seems to have have it in for any of these people and anything to do with baseball. So um, I think you're probably right. It's going to take him leaving um, to uh, before some sort of compromise can be reached. But uh, I think, you know, if he's managed to survive this latest emergency manager, manager <laughs> thing, um, I don't think he's going anywhere immediately. But uh, we can always hope. Yeah. Just a quick note on the Wrigley Field renovations. Uh, Chicago Alderman Tom Turney, he was a, was a quick fold in his opposition to the planned renovations at Wrigley Field. So now Wrigley will have an eyesore of an LED scoreboard plus advertising everywhere. Although Tooney still opposes one aspect of the plan, which is the Skyway for pedestrians, saying that the fans will spill beer on the people below. I, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> it's just like, what? Apparently they haven't invented fences in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, well, we have a Skyway at UCI, and I don't think anybody spilled beer on anybody else here. So, it, uh, yeah, I don't, that's bizarre. Just wait for it. You're in trouble now. Oh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I hexed it. So, uh, anyways, we'll leave off with the cable com- uh, company bubble. Since companies like Netflix and Hulu are becoming more, um, we're becoming more of a demand world for entertainment. However, since sporting events tend to be needed to be watched live, and the people who watch them don't tend to skip commercials, uh, for the last six years, I think, there's been an ongoing bubble to start local sports networks and then slash the right wars to carry the games we in la have experienced that with the lakers and the and the time warner cable channel versus dish and um what's the other one direct tv mm-hmm. um so yeah to, and the rights to the games themselves are we starting to see the bottom of the bubble fall out because only like four percent of people watch one particular game yeah, I mean, it's a little hard to tell when it's going to happen. I mean, you know, you, this is really what's driving the insane prices for teams, right? It's why the Dodgers were sold for $2 billion, right? Because they knew they were going to get a huge cable deal, and they were going to get a huge cable deal because TV on sports is the only thing that people will actually watch the ads because they'll sit through it to see what's happening in the game. So eventually this has to stop. I mean, one of the things I think is probably going to have an impact, and I've been debating with in, uh, with people in the comment section about it, but is you know the one thing that really 
um, forced the music industry to change and I think is forcing the TV industry to change is illegal downloads, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it's not that everybody does illegal downloads, but a heck of a lot of people do illegal downloads. And it, you know, forces the industry to at least make stuff more accessible, right? If you're in the music industry, you have to sell your stuff easily on iTunes. If you're TV, you have to make it easily watchable on Hulu or whatever else. Or else, you know, people are going to start doing that. And we're sort of right at the cusp where, um, you know, illegal streaming of sporting events is turning from something that you need, you know, major computer skills to use into something that you just sort of need to know the right website to go to. And I would not be surprised in the, if in the next couple of years um, it starts to be something that's more widespread. And at that point, you know, the cable companies and the, and the sports networks really need to figure out what to do. Again, you know, they don't have to suddenly fold in the face of this, and they have, have uh, things they can respond with, but they're going to have to figure out ways of making it easier to access this stuff, even if you don't have uh, cable TV, as more and more people don't have. Yeah. So, I don't know. You know, it's, it's a battle that has yet to happen, but I think it is coming sooner than a lot of teams realize. Yeah, one of my pet peeves, and we'll just end on this, the FCC does mandate broadcasters like ourselves to use the public airways for the public good, but so many sporting events have moved over to the broadcast companies, cable sister companies, with, um, you know, the over-the-air broadcast, if you watch on Saturday and Sundays, are just jam-packed with infomercials and maybe one day, one game of the week. Yeah, no, it's really the, the, the way that the, the public airwaves have become the private cable networks is just horrifying and, and a story that really hasn't been told accurately. Yeah, totally. Neil DeMoss, he runs his website, fieldofschemes.com, and he wrote a book by that name as well. We'll be right back right after the break, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, talk next week. Okay, this is the Heather McCoy Show.